0: Hello, everyone. This is your host, Sergeant First Class Arslan Khan with the Warrant Officer Recruiting Company. And today we'll be exploring the 352 Sierra Signals Collection Technician Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty. Our special guest is none other than CW3 David Setliff from the 717th Military Intelligence Battalion at Joint Base San Antonio. And he will be talking to us about what it means to be a Signals Collections Technician Warrant Officer in the 352 Sierra Warrant Officer Specialty. Chief Setliff, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We are excited to hear your input in all the ways the uh, 352 Sierra Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty contributes to mission accomplishment.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for hosting me.
0: Sir, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences as a warrant officer and how you feel about serving in your warrant officer specialty?
1: So, my path to becoming a warrant officer was more of a winding road than a straight line. I actually started out as a Korean linguist and went to DLI and Goodfellow for my initial training and spent almost seven years in Korea as a Korean linguist, which, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. But around 2007, I I needed a change in my career and 35 Sierra at that time was a star MOS. So I just, I decided to reclass and go in a different direction. Um, and then soon after I made Sergeant first class and then I was kind of at a fork in the road with my career of what I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I looked at the people I respected the most throughout my career at that time, and it was the warrant officers that really stood out to me as having the most influence. And I saw that they had a a lot of impact in their job and I wanted that for myself. So, you know, I decided even though I had almost 15 years of service in at the time, I applied to become a warrant officer and you know, I was accepted and my warrant officer career has been fantastic. In my opinion, the, the difference between being a senior NCO in the army and being a warrant officer is is night and day. It's the, the amount of respect and the opinion that you have with with your peers and your subordinates and with your su- superiors to me, it's, you really get listened to and you're trusted with your, your advice and your opinion. Uh, so I, I really like being a warrant officer, and I, I feel like anyone who's thinking about becoming a warrant officer should really pursue it if it's in their career interest to do so.
0: For the potential applicant listening, uh, we've asked questions that most of us have when deciding to pursue a career as a 352 Sierra warrant officer. And we would like to delve into some of these questions and get your take on some of the most crucial questions we all want to know. Let us begin by asking, what do warrant officers in your specialty do in a normal span of a duty day uh, when they start out as a new warrant officer in a cohort? And how do those responsibilities evolve uh, to more responsibilities later on?
1: It's really hard to say what warrant officers in this specialty do in a normal span of a duty day. It really depends on where you're stationed. If you're the OIC of a signals development center, that's going to be much different than being an OIC of a signals collection team at a theater intelligence brigade. Uh, Two completely different duties that you would have. And, you know, the responsibilities in each of those duties are going to be different as well. So the best thing I can recommend is to try to get a diversity of assignments within those billets that 352 Sierras have in order to balance yourself out as a Sierra warrant.
0: Why would someone pursue this type of commission? And what are some of the benefits they take into the civilian world?
1: I think uh, one of the best benefits of being a warrant officer is it's a hybrid between being a senior NCO and being an officer. Uh, In my opinion, you get the best of both and you kind of reduce some of the negative sides of both as well. So it's a really fantastic role to be in. And as far as the benefits taken in the civilian world, a lot of the experiences you have on the job and the missions you lead, you gain an incredible amount of experience with leadership, with project management, with, with different uh, parts of the intelligence cycle. So I think that makes you very marketable when you get out. And if you take advantage of advantages of the training opportunities that come across, then you'll be very well positioned to go into the civilian world after being a warrant officer.
0: As a young staff sergeant working in a shop, uh, what advice would you give them on what types of jobs they need to start working towards in their enlisted careers that will help them to achieve a commission as a warrant officer?
1: You know, being a young NCO, it's kind of tough sometimes because you don't always get to pick your job, and sometimes you're not always going to be assigned to do the mission. Sometimes you might be in the O room as the training NCO, or you might be in the Battalion S-3 uh doing being the school's NCO which those are very critical jobs I mean those are jobs that have to be done but they do pull you out of your your mission side what I would recommend is to try to limit that as much as possible you know you, you want to try to get back into the mission and be involved with the mission uh, as much of your career as you possibly can and for an NCO not just being in the mission but being in charge of those mission sets and you're overseeing soldiers that are part of the signals intelligence process they're analyzing the signals, they're collecting the signals, they're, they're processing them. Like, you want to be involved in that on some level as an NCO, and you want those things to be reflected in your NCOERs. And just as importantly, you want to have really strong, positive feedback from your raters and senior raters. What I find oftentimes is, you know, the NCOs unknowingly will receive NCOERs that are kind of mediocre and watered down, but they don't really realize that's the case. And, you know, it can affect them down the road for promotion to sergeant first class or even when they apply to becoming a warrant officer. Those are the two big things I would recommend is stay in the mission, stay involved on a leadership level leading the missions, and also make sure that those things are reflected on your NCOERs uh, and that you're getting the support from your raiders and senior raiders to give the, get those strong endorsements and the strong senior raider, raider comments.
0: Sir, thank you so much for your insight. What types of training can a young enlisted NCO benefit from when considering to pursue a career as a 352 Sierra Warrant Officer.
1: So if you're a 35 Sierra that's looking to become a Warrant Officer, one of the most important things you can do is to make sure they're meeting the minimum requirements for selection. And one of those big courses is the 451 course. Uh, Those slots are very limited sometimes, and sometimes it's hard to get them depending on where you're at in your career and what duty station you're at and their willingness to send you to these courses so w- without the 451, you can't even apply to becoming a, a warrant officer. So I would first of all, make sure that you get that course and 452, if you, if you can, if you have the aptitude and the time, but outside of that, a lot of computer technology related classes can definitely fit. You know, there's folks that get ham radio operator licenses to understand signal theory and, and collection and things like that a little bit better. There's a lot of different avenues you could take uh, to enhance your skills as a Sierra and make you a little more competitive as a Sierra, but honestly, I would just do the best you can in, in the mission that you're in currently and make sure that you're meeting those minimum prerequisites in order for app- to apply to be a warrant officer.
0: What is the most common mistake made by applicants um, you know, applying to the cohort and how can it be avoided?
1: So one of the biggest mistakes that I find with newer applicants is they don't fully understand their prerequisite requirements. So, you know, there's the basic administrative requirements, like your GT score has to be above 110, so you might have to take a GT enhancement course in order to get above that 110 level if you're not. Uh, you have to be able to get a clearance, and not just a top-secret clearance, but you also, also have to be able to get into NSA facilities with, with a MADO clearance for a 352 Sierra. Uh, for some people, that might be a disqualifier uh, based on their associations they have or family members or things like that. Uh, The ability to pass a uh, ACFT, the new combat uh, fitness test. Warrant officer technicians also have to pass a medical screening. It's it's not as rigorous as the flight physical, but uh, you do have to undergo a medical evaluation to make sure that you're uh, physically able to be a warrant officer. So some of those things are just basic administrative requirements that has to be passed no matter which MOS you're applying for. And then on top of that, you have the 352 Sierra prerequisites. You know, and, and you know, some of the main ones of those is the rank requirement. You have to have a certain number of, of NCURs reflecting that, you know, you being a 35 Sierra that's managing SIGINT assets and, and personnel that are conducting uh, signals exploitation, uh, those things are, are critically important. And if you don't have NCURs reflecting those, those, those might be things that prevent you from becoming a warrant officer. You know, sometimes other issues people run into is being able to find a senior 352 Sierra, because there's not a lot of them out in the force, so sometimes you might be in a duty station where you don't have a a senior Sierra, and I was in that same boat when I was at Fort Bragg. I ended up having to get my letter from a 352 November, because that was the only warrant officer available, so, you know, I had to, to interview and be vetted by and get the endorsement from a senior warrant officer from a different MOS, but that was the only thing I could do at the time, because there were no 352 Sierras. You know, if you have any questions about the, the re- prerequisites or the requirements, you know, just reach out to the proponent and they should be able to answer any questions you have. Or you could reach out to a local warrant officer and they can probably help you with that process.
0: When submitting a packet to the board, uh, what do board members value the most? And could you help us to describe the process that takes place when your packet is reviewed by the board?
1: So once you made it past the proponent phase, you know, the proponent has said, hey, this individual, they meet the minimum prerequisites and they're ready to be boarded. You know, that, now you're in the board phase where you're competing against the other candidates that have, you know, gone through the proponent process as well. So, you know, I can't emphasize uh, uh, enough that it's a competition. They're trying to select the best candidates in order to fill the billets that they have available. So some of the things they look for in the packets, uh, one of the easiest things to look for is consistency in the packet. Does the ERB, SRB speak to the same things that the resume speaks to that also matches the NCBRs? Because any inconsistencies between those three documents, it's very glaring and it's very obvious. So the more that you can have attention to detail and thoroughness and making sure that your documents across the board line up with each other, uh, you know, the dates, uh, the verbiage, the duty positions, all that sort of stuff should line up on each of the documents. Uh, and you need to make sure that those things are consistent because when they're not consistent, it really stands out. Uh, another thing that the, the board members are looking at is evaluations. Uh, they're looking for strong endorsements from your rater and senior rater. You know, the, the promote now, the promote ahead of peers, send, send to the, uh, the next school now, uh, the top 10% of their peer group. Like those sort of statements are very strong, even if you don't have the top block checkbox. Uh, they're really looking at the verbiage from those senior Raiders because those are talking about your potential for higher responsibility, your potential for promotion in the future. So you want to make sure as much as possible, as much as you can control the process, to make sure that those, especially the senior Raider statements, are very strongly endorsing of you and your potential to, to advance in your career. Uh, and I know every single time you get an NCER, that's not always possible to get those strong endorsements. But, you know, out of 10 NCBRs, you want to have six, you know, at least seven of those NCBRs that are strongly advocating for you as an individual and as a technician and as a leader. Uh, because out of, if you get 10 NCBRs and you can only really point to maybe like two or three that are strongly endorsing of you, it, it, the board members are going to pick up on that really fast and they're going to wonder, is this person even really qualified to, to become a warrant officer? Uh, because, you know, they're looking to make sure that these candidates are vetted thoroughly, which they should be before they even apply. Uh, and, you know, they're going to look at the letters of recommendation from the, the, the captain, the battalion commander, and the senior warrant just to make sure there's consistency, uh, making sure that the individual has strong endorsements from their leadership, and making sure the individual has the technical qualifications and the leadership qualifications to become a warrant officer. So if you can make sure you have all those things covered, uh, you're probably going to be fine at the board. Uh, at that point, it's really just how many slots are available, how many people are competing, and for 352 Sierra, in many cases, uh, they either don't get enough applicants, or you know they they get as many applicants as they need for for billets. Just make sure your your packet is consistent, your NCBRs are strong, and that you have good strong endorsements from your leadership. And if if you can cover those bases, uh, I think you're going to be fine.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you so much for that insight. Once an applicant is selected how long do they attend Warrant Officer Candidate School, and how long is the follow-on training for that Warrant Officer specialty?
1: Once you're selected for walks, it's, uh, I believe it's five weeks for the technical side because you've already been through ALC. The flight warrants who haven't been through those leader, NCO leadership schools, I think they have an eight-week course instead, but you'll have the condensed shortened version because uh, you're coming into this as an NCO who are, who's already been through those leadership schools. So five, five weeks for walks, and then for the basic course, uh, I don't know exactly the amount of time. I want to say it's about three months of time that you're at, at uh, Fort Huachuca going through the basic course. Uh, I would go to the ATAR's website and, and look at the specific length of time for each of those courses because uh, I know they, they shift sometimes. Sometimes they add weeks or take weeks away because they, they have to change the course material or, or budget constraints, uh, cause them to have to compress different timelines. So, if you want the truest answer of how long it, it uh, basic course is, I would go to the ATARS website. And how quickly you get slotted for those courses is really dependent on availability. Uh, one candidate that I recently spoke with, who got got accepted to becoming a warrant officer, he had almost a one year wait before he was able to get to his candidate school. And then uh, they only have a couple of basic courses per year for Sierras. So, you know, you might go back to your home duty station after walks. And you might be waiting for four months or six months for that basic course uh, date. And, uh, you know, I know it's kind of a, a long time to wait, but it's just part of the process. And just uh, be, be patient and, and work the process as quickly as you can.
0: Sir, what advice uh, would you give to a newly selected NCO in your unit on how to prepare for Warrant Officer Candidate School and the Warrant Officer training they're about to conduct?
1: So if you're a newly selected NCO, preparing for walks, uh, I mean, there's a couple of things you can keep in mind. Uh, The big one is that the distance learning requirements are counted towards your your overall class grade. And any failures you have on the distance learning, they actually apply to uh, your overall score. Some people found out the hard way in the resident portion of walks uh when they failed their first test in the resident portion they thought that was just one failure but then they didn't realize that a failure that they had on the computer-based training also counted as a failure and they ended up getting uh, kicked out of the course so make sure you take the computer-based training seriously because it, it does count towards your overall grade and towards the the amount of strikes you have if you were to fail anything um, and another thing is physical fitness is going to be important you're going to fort rucker alabama and uh, I went in the summertime, it was July, August time frame, and it was really hot. So uh, you know it, the, the heat really took a lot out of me. Uh, some of the things were challenging for me, like the ruck March was very challenging just because it was a lot of weight and it was very hot. <laughs> and uh, you know even though they did it at four o'clock in the morning, it, it didn't matter. I was still sweating a lot. you know, I had to drink a ton of water. And I, I thought the ruck March was extremely challenging so, Maybe making sure that you can ruck march for 12 miles uh, under load in your current duty station. That might help get your physical fitness up a little bit in order to help you pass that, the rigors of that. Uh, practicing land navigation, that was another area that kind of messed some people up because they didn't find all their points or you know they, they didn't find the points uh, with enough time and they were disqualified from, from that portion or had to retake it uh, because they weren't able to finish the course. So land navigation is definitely going to be critical and, and they change the requirements for land navigation. Sometimes you have battle buddies you can work with. Sometimes they put the coordinates on the back of the point. So it's kind of self-correcting. Uh, I didn't have any of those advantages when I went, uh, so I wouldn't, uh, depend on those. Uh, you might've ha- heard people tell you stories about what they went through when they went to walks, but I would just assure you that after every class, they take a an assessment of the class and they get feedback and the class after that is almost never like the class before it. So there's always changes, but, you know, at a minimum you have to take your academic stuff seriously. You have to be able to pass the ruck march and you have to be able to pass the land navigation. All the other stuff, you know, if you just think back to boot camp and you can march and follow orders and things like that, then walks wasn't super crazy. The attack officers they get a little crazy on the first week but after that they kind of chill out and, and things are a lot better so i wouldn't worry too much about walks itself i'll just make sure that you can pass those minimum physical requirements for ruck marching that you can pass the land navigation portion and that uh, the academic piece is definitely important and lastly integrity violations any integrity violations over there they they take that very seriously uh so i uh, just make sure whatever you do, that you do it by the book and that you're honest about it. Even if you make mistakes, be honest about your mistakes because I saw some people get kicked out of the course for for minor integrity uh, violations. And uh, even though they were seemingly minor, it, it didn't matter at the time because uh, that's something they took very seriously. So I, I would keep that in mind as well. As for the MOS training, um, I don't think anybody in our class found anything particularly difficult. Uh, you have your Common Core block, which you're in the class with all the other different military intelligence MOSs at the same time. And you do that for a few weeks. And then you go to your MOS specific block. Um, you know, as long as you're there and you're, you're studious about learning and, and tr- taking everything you can from the course, there shouldn't be any problems academically getting passed. And you know, you have a PT test you have to take. One thing you could focus on as well is briefing skills I saw some people get super nervous during their briefings and they kind of got messed up by the the briefing portion of it i didn't see anybody fail from it but some people get super nervous briefing and if if you're comfortable standing in front of people and presenting things and talking then you shouldn't have a problem if you get nervous in front of crowds or when you're presenting things that's a skill you should improve anyway as a warrant officer because communication both written and verbal is is one of your biggest hallmarks as a warrant officer and being able to influence things So you can never get too good at briefing skills. So I I would focus on those things uh, to succeed at the Fort Wachuca portion. Otherwise, it's nothing I would worry too much about.
0: Sir, once you've been trained and pin on as a warrant officer, do you have any input on where you'll be stationed? And what is the process for selecting a duty station?
1: So most of the time when you go to a warrant officer candidate school, it's TDY in return. So when I finished walks and got pinned, I actually went back to Fort Bragg so I could out-process the duty station there. And then I had to wait for uh, my basic course date. Uh, And then once I got the basic course, uh, I believe that was when I was able to work with the uh, career manager and the assignments manager in order to get my assignment. And 352 Sierra, we don't have a lot of duty stations anyway. So I think I got a list of about three duty stations and I was told to rack and stack them from most preferred to least preferred so i think i had like uh san antonio texas as my number one and then i had hawaii as my number two and then third i think i had fort meade as my third Uh, the novembers have quite a bit more options than we do but for sierras it's pretty limited so whatever choices you get it's not because they're trying to intentionally limit you it's just because there's not a lot of slots available anyway now keep in mind human resources command is implementing new uh, processes for assigning folks through the AIM-2 portal, and they're trying to make it more kind of like uh, the civilian sector as far as assigning people and talent management, and things of that nature. So I would just make sure I'm aware of how HRC is assigning people, and they'll be in contact with you probably when you're in basic course in order to let you know what your options are and what you can expect.
0: Thank you for that advice, sir. Uh, what is family life like as a 352 Sierra uh, Warrant Officer, and how can we best take care of our families? as we embark on our quest to become a 352 Sierra Warrant Officer.
1: This question is highly dependent, first on if you even have a family. Some people don't have a wife and kids and things of that nature, and that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, I've been married for 20 years, I've got four kids, so family's a a big centerpiece of my, of my life. But as far as how much time I get to spend with them, it really is duty station dependent. Uh, my first duty station as a warrant officer one in Germany, I was gone a lot. I was, I worked really long days. I was out in the field frequently. Uh, you know, there were deployments and things of that nature that kept me away from my family. And that's just part of being a soldier. It's, you know, I, I did the things I had to do to stand out and to, to make a name for myself and to make sure that I was taking care of my career. Cause in my mind, if I take care of my career, then my family is going to be taken care of, uh, down the line as well. So I would just make sure that you keep in mind, it's really duty station dependent. My current duty station at NSA Texas, it's very relaxed. I go to work by 7. I'm home by, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of time off and a lot of advantages that I've had in this duty station that I didn't have in, in other duty stations. So just take advantage of whatever you have at the duty station you're at as far as opportunities to hang out with your family and to go do recreational activities and travel. Germany was really busy for me, but at the same time, we traveled a lot. I saw so many countries and visited a lot of things that, that people only read about in books in, in the United States for the most part, but I was sitting there at some of the coolest areas of the world. So just, I, I would recommend taking advantage of whatever duty station you're at and spend time with your family, quality time, whenever you get a chance to. And another big part of that is having a reliable circle of friends. That way, if you have to be gone for a deployment or a TDY, You can kind of know that there's somebody there that your family can trust and depend on uh, when they need help with stuff.
0: Thank you, sir. Uh, This is a two-part question. When creating your resume, uh, what is the best way to highlight some of the skills you possess and what are the most critical skills to highlight? Furthermore, what are some of the most critical trainings uh, to highlight?
1: When I try to help people craft their resume and when I try to craft my own resume, the things I looked for specifically were items out of my NCR that I could pull out that demonstrated me as a Sierra, directing and applying and managing SIGINT assets and personnel towards towards the mission. And not just what I accomplished as an individual, but what did my team accomplish and uh, the levels of success and the impacts that we had because of the leadership that I was applying to that team. As a warrant officer, you're a leader, and you're going to be in charge of a SIGINT mission, whether it's a signals collection team or whether it's a uh, signals development center and you're responsible for producing uh, the signals exploitation functions. You have to be able to demonstrate that in your NCBRs, and you can easily pull that stuff out of your NCBRs when you're crafting your resume. And you just have to think logically, big picture, how do I demonstrate that I have the character and and the moral compass that officers should have how do i demonstrate the leadership and tactical and technical competence that warrant officers should have and how do i logically all those things together into a cohesive narrative because if you can do that if you can if you can communicate concisely about your character and your your moral compass and your your technical and leadership skills and how all those things have led you in this this direction and and that you becoming a warrant officer is just it's uh it makes sense it's, it's something that they would have no doubt in doing and selecting you as that next warrant officer candidate you have to be able to speak on your behalf you have to be able to advocate for yourself because at the end of the day you're going to be your own biggest advocate so if you if you do that well in the in the evaluation or the resume phase then uh, that's going to reflect well on you If you just kind of throw some stuff in the in the summary section and it's not very cohesive, it doesn't really speak well on why you should be a warrant officer, on the skills you possess, on why they should select you specifically. If you can't really speak to that, then uh, they're probably going to have trouble making that determination for you if you can't make it for yourself. So highlight those skills that you earned in the tactical situations, highlight the skills you earned in the operational missions, highlight the skills you've earned in the strategic missions, because they want to see at every echelon, whether it's tactical, operational, strategic, that this NCO was placed in a position of responsibility for the mission and they were successful, that they produced results. Uh, That's what they want to see, because that's what's going to be expected of you as a warrant officer that you produce no matter which situation you get stuck in that they need you to be that go-to person that's going to produce and going to drive that signals intelligence cycle forward so those are the things you need to highlight you know whether it's working in a signals development center highlight the things that you brought to the table and the, and the advancements you made and the the training that you gave to your your junior soldiers highlight those aspects you know, if you worked on a signals collection team you know, whether it's the timmers the teespring the searchlight air vigilance any of those collection systems if you have experience with those and you can demonstrate that you know how to set up the equipment that you know how to operate it that you know how to uh, e- exploit signals no matter where they're at because you know how to set up a front-end architecture that's important to highlight uh, if you're on the elant side of the house and most of the the stuff you worked with was with elant or you worked with overhead that's not necessarily a bad thing uh not everything is ground collection, uh, but you have to be able to highlight those skills that you you showed and demonstrated and learned while you were working at Denver, while you were working a physant mission with air vigilance, uh whether you're working an ELANT mission and you went to the intermediate ELINT course rather than the intermediate signals analysis course, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh you just have to be able to highlight and demonstrate technical leadership in different echelons and demonstrating success. If you can do that, you'll be successful.
0: Thank you, sir. Uh, What are some of the most important things to talk about in your resume summary page, and how do board members view these comments?
1: Honestly, the resume summary page is probably one of the most important pages of the entire document. This is where you as an individual are communicating clearly that you deserve to be a warrant officer, that you are ready, that you have the skills, you have the leadership, you have the the moral compass that they need for the future warrant officer corps. So you have to be able to communicate that and you have to demonstrate with actual experience and, and duty stations and, and skills that you have and possess. And tying all those things together in a cohesive narrative, uh, that summary page is extremely important. I would spend a lot of time on that summary page because the board members are looking at those comments, the comments you make about yourself and how well you can articulate what you bring to the table and why you should be a warrant officer. Because if you can't do that for yourself, then it's gonna be difficult for them to to justify why should they make you a warrant officer whenever you you can't clearly articulate what you bring to the fight. Because you're gonna have to be able to communicate clearly and concisely with officers, senior officers, other warrant officers, and enlisted folks So communication is extremely important, and it's a critical skill from a W-1 all the way to W-5. And the better you can relay that you are good at communication and you can tie all these these attributes you have together in a cohesive uh, narrative on that summary page, the better off you're going to be.
0: Well, that's really great information to know, sir. Thank you. Uh, What are the three best duty stations that one can expect to serve in while assigned as a 352 Sierra Warrant Officer, sir?
1: <laughs> Three best duty stations that you can expect as a 352 Sierra? Uh, I mean, it really depends on your personal preferences. Uh, if you like to travel, there's, there's overseas opportunities, there's assignments in Japan, there's assignments in Italy, there's assignments in Germany, there's assignments in Australia that you can go to. So that'll give you plenty of exposure and experience overseas in, in different locations. Uh, th- those things can be really fun, depending on if that's in your your desire to do so. Uh, stateside, you know, there's there's plenty of opportunities to go to different areas of, of the United States, whether it's Texas or Georgia or Colorado or Maryland. Those are kind of the main hubs uh, that we can go to. Uh, Hawaii is another OCONUS assignment that you can go to. and It's just, uh, it depends on what your preference is. I would say that my favorite assignment has, uh, was Germany, honestly, because I got to travel extensively in Germany, both for mission and for, for leisure travel. And I got to see so many cool things. You know, you, you, you drive three hours any direction in Germany, and you're in a completely new country with, with different languages and cultures and foods. And it was just a really cool experience. So, you know, if you haven't gotten outside of the United States too much, uh, I would highly recommend uh, trying to get into one of those over, overseas assignments. Uh, Maryland is really good too it's great for networking there's a lot of opportunities and positions in Maryland to expand yourself as a 352 Sierra uh, some of those opportunities are only at Maryland so there's, you can take advantage of some of those opportunities that you can't really take advantage of other uh, other places um, and it also probably depends on where you're at in your career I decided to go to San Antonio because uh, I'm toward the end of my career I've got 22 years of service in right now and I was looking towards retirement in the next you know three to five years So based on the cost of living and, you know, the schools in the area and and things like that, uh, I picked Texas as the place I I wanted to go to as potentially my last assignment. And I'm still undecided whether that's the case or not. But really, when it comes to the the top assignments as a 352 Sierra, it it just depends on what you're looking for. I would just uh, look at each assignment and and the opportunities available and, and go with the one that meets your personal and professional goals. On one level, you have a little bit more control over your career than an enlisted person does, so I would definitely take advantage of that. That's, that's one good thing about being on the officer side of the house.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you so much for your insight. Um, on the subject of promotions, uh, starting from W-1, how long will it take in this Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty to progress through each rank to um, potentially reach uh, Chief Warrant Officer 5?
1: So once you pin W1, it's two years to W2, and that's, for the most part, that's automatic. Uh, unless you do something seriously wrong that causes your chain of command to write to have you removed from the promotion list, uh, it's very, very much automatic. And then from CW2 to 3 is five years, from 3 to 4 is five years, and then from 4 to 5 is, is five years. And that's if you hit the promotion zones exactly on time, first time. Uh, because if you get passed over once, you get another look. And then if you get passed over twice, uh, then you, you are asked to kindly leave the service at that point, unless you have uh, the ability to get selected for continued service, uh, which, which is only in rare circumstances. So it's two years, five years, five years and five years.
0: Thank you, sir. Um, as one retires from this warrant officer uh, military occupation specialty, are there lifelong organizations um, that one may take part in as a former 352 Sierra warrant officer to champion issues concerning warrant officers exclusively?
1: I'm not heavily involved in uh, lifelong organizations such as this, but I am familiar with the U.S. Army Warrant Officer Association, and there's also the MI Corps. Association, which is for uh, retired Army officers. So there's a couple of officer organizations that you can join that will champion issues concerning warrant officers. And those things aren't mandatory, uh, but I I would encourage you to look into them if that's something you're interested in.
0: Thank you, sir. Are there opportunities warrant officers have to give back to their communities in the realm of the 352 Sierras uh, particularly? If so, could you tell us some of your experiences?
1: So for the 352 Sierra MOS, uh, it's giving back to your community is a, a personal thing, and it's on whatever level you want to give back. I've volunteered for Habitat for Humanity. I volunteered for the, the animal shelter. Uh, it just depends on what you want to do to volunteer. There's food drives that you can volunteer for. The MOS specifically doesn't feed into uh, any sort of specific volunteer specialties that you can you can go into, particularly since we're in the intelligence community. But if you're looking for volunteer opportunities, I would just get with your local volunteer coordinator and they should be able to point you in the right direction.
0: Thank you for sharing, sir. Um, Why should someone compete to be a part of the 352 Sierra Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty? And how does it benefit the nation? One thing I
1: love about being in the intelligence community is I feel like my job contributes to helping decision makers make decisions and helping to gather the intelligence that drives those decisions. And being a 352 Sierra, you're kind of in that uh, planning and, and collection and exploitation piece of the intelligence cycle, if you think about it from an intelligence cycle perspective. So I really love what I do. I think it's a valuable contribution and there's a lot of opportunities when you, when you get out of the military to continue to pursue that. If you like uh, intelligence operations and, and you like informing decision makers, then this is a great MOS to be in. It gives you a lot of valuable experience, like I said, on the planning, collection, and exploitation side. You work with a lot of cool systems, a lot of cool equipment. Uh, you make a lot of contacts. Contacts are very important. Networking is very important. So if you build a reputation for yourself and, and you demonstrate your leadership and your technical skills, then you make yourself very marketable and you make yourself easy to uh, transition from the military to the civilian sector once you get out. And all this is a great service to the nation. It's not just a selfish thing, but you know, intelligence is critical to to what we do as a military and and enabling those key leaders to have the information they need to make sound decisions that impact national security, impact uh, economic decisions, impact relationships that we have with other countries. So it's, it's critical work for sure.
0: Thank you for your insight, sir. Um, as a mentor in the cohort, what additional advice would you offer a potential applicant? Uh,
1: the last bit of advice I'd give to candidates is just make sure you're ready. Make sure that warrant officer is something that you really want because at a minimum, you're committing yourself to six more years of service and potentially much longer than that. Uh, and also, there's different expectations of warrant officers and NCOs. So you have to be able to make that mental shift from being a non officer to, to being that officer where now you're in charge, you're responsible, and you're kind of setting the pace and setting the direction for that that team or that organization. So it's, it's very important to, to realize as an NCO that wants to be a warrant officer, that it's, it's a different perspective of the military completely. And like I said, I, I say this from personal experience of being a senior NCO and now being a senior warrant. It's a, its kind of night and day, the two different experiences. And, but I don't regret it at all. Uh, even though I crossed over rel- relatively late in my career at about 15 years of service, uh, you know, to be honest, I wish I had crossed over a little bit earlier. Uh, it's uh I've had no regrets being a warrant officer. It's been a really great time. The amount of respect I get from the enlisted side, my peers, from the the senior officers above me, you know, they they look at me as a subject matter expert. They look at me as the go-to guy and I try to make sure that I am that go-to guy. You know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, but it also drives me to be better, to be the best warrant officer I can be, to make sure I'm providing, providing sound advice, that, you know, that I know what I'm talking about, that I come to the table with good ideas, uh, s- solutions to problems, because that's what they need you to do as a warrant officer. So, you know, if you're an, en- an enlisted person thinking about becoming a warrant officer and that sounds interesting to you, then I would absolutely pursue it. Like I said, I've had no regrets about my warrant officer career. You know, as I'm looking toward the end of my career, my my goal right now is to vet the best candidates I can uh, of these up and coming NCOs that are going to eventually replace me uh in in the warrant officer cohort and and make sure that i'm setting the cohort up for success in the future because there's a lot of challenging times ahead technology is constantly changing the enemy is constantly changing and shifting and we need people that are proactive that have the right mindset and they're going to be able to drive intelligence operations in the right direction for the future i think that is super critical and you know, anybody that wants to be part of that process, that wants to be on the the pointy end of the spear of intelligence, uh, if you're an NCO and you have the right mindset and you have the right drive, then absolutely apply. But just uh, walk into the situation knowing what to expect. As far as, you know, there's a lot going to be expected of you. It's it's a different mentality required. The expectations are much, much higher. So if you're up for the challenge, then apply for it and uh, you will be greatly rewarded for doing so.
0: Chief Setliff, uh, thank you so much for joining us today and, um, you know, sharing all of your knowledge and insight with us. Uh, For those of you listening out there, if you're looking and considering to apply to become a 352 Sierra, you know, heed the advice Chief Setliff just gave us today. And as always, go warrant now.